Hi, everyone. I hope you're safe and keeping well. Hi, especially to my listeners in Victoria, Australia. I hope you're rejoicing the upcoming easing of restrictions. We've all done really well. My guest today is a childhood friend of Ishmita Shivkumar, affectionately called Avi, who is a fashion designer from Canada. I had an online chat with her a little while ago, and this is an absolutely fascinating conversation that taught me so much. Avi and I talk about the history of fashion. She helps me understand how the fashion industry works a little bit, how clothing manufacturing works, how pricing works, how trends work. And she also talks about how we can find our own personal style or how we can dress in ways that makes us feel better. This conversation is not just about clothes. It's about history, culture, society, identity, body politics, gender, mental health, accessibility. It's so many things. And Avi is just incredibly wise and warm. It was a pleasure to talk to her. The original conversation was nearly three hours long and we had to cut it down. There's so much that I couldn't share with you, but I look forward to having her back on the podcast to talk to us more about playing with our clothes, playing with our expression and expressing our identity through our clothes better. Just a quick note that we've got one more episode coming up this season and then we're going to take a season break and come back in February next year with Season 3 of Heckin' Concern Podcast. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This is Amrita, and you're listening to Heckin' Concern Podcast. The fashion industry must have taken a hit globally. Oh, absolutely. But I've been seeing conversations Essentially, a lot of the big, big companies, so like the huge names who do Fashion Week every year, so like your Valentinos and your, um, your like Alexander Queens and, you know, all of these huge names, they are having discussions on like, what does it actually mean? What's the place of fashion? What's the place of a fashion show? What is needed? And these are conversations that have been around for a little while, especially when it comes to haute couture, is there even space for it? Is there like room for fashion shows? Are they still relevant? And now everyone kind of got forced into stopping. Like none of those conversations, those conversations would go only so far because everyone was in this like ludicrous pace of creation and manufacture. But now that everyone was like, well, we have to stop like there is no manufacturer there is no creation there's pivoting and pivoting hard and now and we also have a whole lot of time so like let's have those discussions and but the thing with fashion shows is it's moved it's evolved a lot like the the purpose of a fashion show used to be that the fashion show used to be only for people who were going to buy the clothing so buyers of from stores would come and they would see, see the clothing up close and exactly. even like couture um the 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 whole point of that was for people to have essentially a a, a very luxurious tailoring service where the clothes were designed with their tastes in mind or and, and a designer's original flair of some sort but for them and now yeah. it's become this very bizarre like all of fashion has become 
to me as an outsider, kind of inexplicable. I don't understand anymore the purpose of fashion shows. I don't understand the purpose of featuring really bizarre and edgy looks. It's almost like art for the sake of art. And there's no real, to me, there's no real connection of how that's going to trickle down to wearable pieces or whatever. Right. Um, it, well, the trickle down part, again, I'm going to reference like an old movie. Um, there's a scene in Devil Wears Prada, if you've ever seen that. Yeah, Cerulean Blue. Who can forget exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> so when I watched that, I was actually in design school. And me and my friends went to the theater in little middle of nowhere Gujarat and, you know, watched. We were like the only ones in the entire theater, just like super excited. Um, and while we were watching that, we're like, this tiny little clip just summed up our entire, like, so much of our, like, history of fashion. <laughs> like, there's just, like, a giant chunk of what we've been studying that was just so succinctly captured in that. So that's actually accurate. It's not the whole story, but but it is very spot on. So, so essentially, um, designers decide the aesthetic for their next collection and if it's well received then it starts getting copied uh into the into the designer's own off the shelf i mean off the rack kind of ready made what is that how, how what is that called it's got a french name uh, oh there's a prêt à porter is ready to wear oh yeah it yeah, yeah, literally yeah. translates to ready to wear um, ready to wear yeah. yeah, and, um, you know, well, so designers don't actually, like, they do come up with what they're going to, you know, what they're going to work on, but there are trend houses, like, there's organizations that their only job is to forecast trends. What they do is they look at everything that's been happening, like, across so many different fields, so it's, you know, yes, it's the arts and it's the creative stuff, but it's also what's happening in technology and what's happening in science and uh, what's happening, you know, with that that's freaking people out in politics with the climate and just across all of these things. Um, and then and and you take like sort of a sample um, client, uh, which who's just like an archetype of of a type of client. And you see, okay, well, how does, like, how do those elements come together for this person and get taken forward? They create with the end user in mind, who is the average person who will be buying clothes. And so they forecast all of these things based on the reality of ordinary people. And then they start at a very high up place where it's a very abstract fashion concept and then it translates into celebrities wearing that in red carpets or whatever and not, then it translates to ready-made. Is that how? No, not necessarily. So when I say there's clients, there's different, um, there's different like client types. So, you know, the middle-class conservative, um, you know, woman is going to be in a certain geographical area is going to be one client the very rich, liberal, gender-neutral man is going to be another 
client base. So there's just like different ones, but you kind of, that's just a bit of your starting point that helps you make sense of all of these disparate um, pieces of information. Like how do they come together to form something? And then they get published as they're usually broken down into segments. So it's like, there's options. There'll be like a theme, an overarching theme and, and like sort of sub themes under that. So like, say if it's, you know, going, getting back to nature would be one huge theme. Then under that, there would be essentially a version that's like super, everybody slow down, go live on a farm aesthetic. And there'll be someone who's like hybridization with tech and, you know, looking at, you know, there's like, I'm forgetting what it's called. uh, Biomimicry, I think is what it's called. So it's like you'd look to nature to inspire, to see how things work. And then you bring that into, into like, um, you use that to teach AI and to like build stuff. So there's like a lot of biomimicry that happens in architecture and in like other sciences as well, like more technical sciences. So it's like, you can have all of those under the larger umbrella of nature. A li- yeah. That's a little bit of how trends work. But this is very fascinating. This is really interesting. And I can also see that uh, the the machinery is so much more complex than uh, maybe even like 50 or 60 years ago. You know, we were talking about the origins of of the fashion show and couture. And now it's about, it's definitely more about selling things to people and considering people's like considering consumer choices and consumer demands uh, to a lot larger extent. Also, there's so many more fashion designers now that it's become so competitive that they really, the the stakes are higher. They really have to appeal to the emotions of their, of their customers and in, you know, in so many different ways. That's why they have to forecast with such breadth this is why for the for a while um the purpose of the fashion show is being questioned because its original purpose was for buyers to look at clothes and the buyers were the ones who like worked in stores uh they they were essentially representatives of stores who would buy the collections but now there's if you look at the the like front row of fashion shows it has shifted. You don't see buyers sitting there anymore. You'll see Anna Wintour, but Anna Wintour is not a buyer. Um, Anna Wintour was like the head of Vogue. She's not like now, I, she's not anymore. But like she and a bunch of A-list celebrities would be sitting in the first two rows. All of those people, like celebrities don't pay for their clothes. Like when they walk the red carpet, they're not paying, they're not buying that stuff. Um, yeah, they're being given. I was that actually stuff. surprised. I saw this um, Jason um, Bolden. He's got there's a celebrity stylist called Jason Bolden, and he has a um, styling show on Netflix. Okay. And I was surprised to see that there are actually these things called showrooms, which mm-hmm. are closed and private uh, closets operated by PR agencies. In which, you know, celebrity, uh, sorry, designers just send their samples there 
and um, different different um, different showrooms have different designers in them. Yeah, and those are like one-off pieces, and they're just hanging there in the showroom. And then stylists go there and just look through their racks and find something for their celebrity. And it's so surprising to me. And then if if something doesn't fit the celebrity, they send it off to get adjusted. But that's very limited because the celebrity has to be between a certain number of sizes that for the clothing to be adjusted up or, up or down. They can't be a vastly different size. So, uh, so the celebrities that show off designer clothes are also kind of, you know, a very similar body shape and they all sit in the front rows of those fashion shows. Right, right. Right. I mean, there it's true. There are like I I do um, rather I've seen that you know there are um, designers who will make one-off pieces for um, a celebrity that's going to an event, Um, and that custom piece can be like whatever your body type like is made for them. So it's a lot that it's a lot better in terms of body diversity because it's like that's the way it was you know, it was meant to be, it was like meant to be made for people's bodies. Um, but yeah. Um, so kind of like the whole fashion show thing is like, what are we doing anymore? And we've replaced buyers with influencers, um, celebrities, as well as like online influencers, like bloggers and Instagram influencers are, are on there and not to like say these people aren't important, but that wasn't the purpose of the fashion show and the format has stayed the same. It's the audience that's shifted. And now it's been like once influencers started getting allowed in, like, you know, bloggers and stuff, the looks and the collections were getting released almost immediately. It's there's been these tiny, seemingly tiny changes have had a lot of impact on the entire industry. Like, that itself is like it, it, you know, it triggered seeing the collection of at least six months before it was even available in stores has created like fatigue. Like by the time it's in stores, everyone's bored. So that's a- the internet has moved on, right? Exactly. Exactly. So this is so interesting to me what you're saying about the purpose of the fashion show and competition from. Uh, a virtual fashion show in the form of Instagram influencers or street style photographers. So I like, okay. So at a venue of a fashion show, mm-hmm. obviously um, fashion shows used to be telecast on TV and people would watch, watch them. People would watch the Victoria's secret fashion show, for example, but I don't even know if anybody watches the damn Victoria's secret fashion show anymore. No, and that um, purpose was never to sell, um, like, that wasn't for buyers. That was always a kind of entertainment, entertainment thing and targeted towards yeah. men. Victoria's right, Secret exactly. come under fire. <laughs> so much fire. So fashion shows would be shown on TV, but then eventually they started appearing, um, like, pictures of the different looks started appearing on websites and so why would anybody sit through a whole fashion show when you can click 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 and scroll through the pictures on the website exactly then um then everybody started having like 
everybody had smartphones with very good cameras. And so celebrities started tweeting or Instagramming pictures of the fashion show from inside, but mainly of each other, not really of each and every look that went by. At the same time, um, Instagram became really popular. So now people are constantly consuming fashion-related content. It's on their eyeballs all the time. So once again, why would anybody sit through a long fashion show anymore? And and so I'm seeing like more and more fashion shows kind of struggling to draw an audience by having other celebrities like singers or actors or whatever walk runways to to get eyeballs rather than models right and and it's uh I, that i i'll be i'll be completely honest i don't know too too much about the reason behind that shift but i think like you probably caught on to a really good uh probable reason um it's kind of to keep it relevant to keep it exciting and to be like hey look we have like full quotation marks or real body on here um, and Mm -hmm. not just a model. And the thing is for clothes, like buyers don't actually like those transactions that like financial business transaction doesn't happen at fashion week. It happens at market week, which is you typically like about a week. It's, I forget what the time frame is, but it's pretty close to fashion week, just like right after it. And that's it. (laughs) And that's where all of the actual, like, the buyers go and see clothes in person and make those, like, orders. That happens at a different time. Um, So Fashion Week is just entertainment now. And then it's like, well, okay, what is it even the kind of entertainment people want? Maybe not. Yeah, Yeah, interesting. And at the same time as uh, Fashion Week what actually happens on stage. The other thing that became hugely popular around fashion weeks is street style. Um, And that fed very naturally and beautifully into Instagram. So now rather than what the designers are uh, putting out like individual collections, it's all about grabbing different pieces from different sources and styling. So it's, it's less about like fashion as creation and more about fashion as styling and curation right and that honestly that i think works really really well with the um with the millennial aesthetic because one thing that's happened with millennials is typically and this is again very broad statement but what they're kind of like when people were everyone studied millennials like literally every single like if you google millennials everyone's talking about it everyone studied it um but there's a kind of a styling is the focus where people will buy stuff that's, you know, they'll wear something that's from like H&M that's really like not expensive at all. Uh, pair it with something that's like a designer piece and throw in grandma's vintage something in there. And, you know, that's kind of how millennials dress often. So it's like shift of focus to styling, definitely. and it marries really well with street style and the fact that like essentially what started happening is uh, people started like there aren't that many in, in real life. If you go out and you walk on the street, you're going to see 
a lot of different micro trends. Yeah, it's like you you find a group of people with whom you share values and those values tend to turn into aesthetics. There is an aesthetic representation of that. And so if you belong to a couple of different groups like that, where your values and your interests uh, kind of blend together, then it's going to blend together visually on you. And yeah. yeah. And so that's sort of like, again, marries really well with the street style aesthetic. What's interesting to me though, is the, how um, personal, ethics and values are kind of being co-opted by um by this you know by the commercial selling machine so for example if you were a person that believes in not you know not following fashion but going to going thrift shopping right or whatever so now there are entire companies that make vintage looking distressed style clothes you know or purposely making clothes with um older patterns or older you know fashions to make it look like you bought it from a vintage but actually you've just bought it from you know like a retailer or a seller or you know like there was a point in the mid 2000s when normcore was for example a thing which was essentially People not making an effort, like people literally wearing. <laughs> I know normcore. Oh, it yeah no sorry. I just I remember being like not just not understanding normcore and having everyone. It was when I was in, um, in school for fashion marketing where I went in as like a twenty nine year old, close to thirty, and I was in school with like seventeen eighteen year olds who were all about the normcore, and I'm like I do not understand this. Um, it's kind of like everyone's individual um, like autonomy is being taken away from people and it's becoming like the circular thing where even like thrift shops used to be a, a place where you could find very disparate and different and unique clothes from different people. But eventually they're going to start looking the same as well because everything is being filtered through this vicious cycle right and I think this is like I fully agree with you on this um and I think that's kind of why it's super important to get a little intentional about what you're doing in your own style and who you're purchasing from and who you're like it's because essentially if you look at like and unfortunately in capitalism this is a little bit of how it is um where our money is kind of how we influence, um, you know, we like promote our values, unfortunately. Um, I hate the fact that that's kind of what it's come to, but like if there is a business that does things that has like similar values as you and does things in a way that like align with what you're, what you believe in, then it's worth it. It actually has like a significant impact to put your money towards them, to take it away from say like, you know, the generic uh, brand that's maybe greenwashing and, uh, you know, just, just co-opting things and saying, hey, we do all of this, but not those values don't run very deep. Um, and they're just doing it to make money versus the company that's like, actually, no, this stuff is really important to us and we're building a company around it and we'll make our money despite this because it's probably going to be difficult to do that. Um, 
And then if as a customer, if you're like, hey, I'm going to give my money to you and hey, company that's just like doing lip service, I'm going to call you out on that and tell you that I'm going to move my business away from you if you don't fix these issues. That has an impact. Uh, There's especially in fashion, there's a lot of movements that have been started by like and that are gaining a lot of traction now. like fashion revolution, I think is one that is a lot of people know it's like, it's gotten pretty big, but that started as a response to like something pretty horrific that happened. And it was, you know, it's a response to like, like there was forgetting how long ago it's been a long time, but in Bangladesh, there was essentially like factories that collapsed um, because of terrible conditions. And it's like, there's horrific stories that come out of that. Um, but there was a response where a group of people were like, hey, enough, like enough. We're going to start calling on companies to do better and mm-hmm. do it as consumers. Like not saying we hate you, but saying, hey, we actually like your aesthetic. We need you to do better. Tell us how you're doing better. Um, and that movement is like it blew up it's 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 a very simple like social media thing that they did where like they do a lot of other stuff but they essentially were like flip your clothes around take a picture like or wear it up um inside out and take a picture of the tag with yourself and ask brands who made my clothing and it was a call for transparency in the industry so that you know because when everything's all hidden, you don't know what's happening. You can't verify that it's good or bad. So they were saying, hey, make it transparent because we want to know what's happening. Because this hidden stuff, there's terrible stuff being hidden. So we, we really don't want that. We want to be proud of the people we give money to. I was just going to say the, the group is called Fashion Revolution, and they do a lot of educational work Um like they know I think they have chapters around the world they're pretty wonderful I'm going to look this up I I, I used to I used to use another app called good on you yeah. which uh, you've heard of it probably yeah the I love them the only thing and I realized this when I contacted them to get a designer reviewed um they only they base it off of what information you put on your website So they're not like, they're not invest, they don't have the resources to investigate, um, kind of do a third party investigation as much. Um, So yeah, that I was like, well, if you know, they're not able to filter out the greenwashing as much. Right. 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 That makes sense. Um, But hey, what they're doing is still really, really good because I I see them highlighting brands that are not as, uh, you know, that are like smaller too. Like I've discovered a couple of ethical brands on there that are smaller brands that I just would never have heard of without them. Why should we care any more about fashion, especially now that we're in this awful global state? We're in a pandemic, there's global warming happening and people are suffering from ecological grief. And in the midst of all this, why is fashion or an obsession with our clothes, like, even important? So whoever you ask, you're, I think you're going to get a million different answers to this. 
Um, my take as someone who's been like I've worked in fashion and kept getting drawn back into it, but I never went in, I was never attracted to the trends. I find them interesting conceptually, but as a person, I'm not like, I, I, I don't follow them. I like, I like how they, I'm super fascinated by how they come together. Um, because to me, it's a story of, of humans. Basically one of the things when I was studying history of fashion, the one thing we realized and we were told and it's spot on is when you look at the movements that have kind of happened, um, we said a lot of what we studied was like European history was very European centric. Um, you know, and you're talking about the big ones of like Renaissance and like, um, the middle ages, I'm totally not doing this in the right order. Uh, but yeah. And, uh, but like you go through all of these new, you have the arts and crafts movement and blah, blah, blah. What happens is one of the first places that you see that shift start happening is in the clothing. And those, those movements are typically like, yeah, there's art that comes out of it. There's architecture that comes out of it. There's like religion does this thing. Like there's every single part that's connected to humans. There is change in that. And there's amazing stuff and horrible stuff that have come out of it. But it has with clothing too. And the fastest thing to change has been clothing. I guess food can shift faster too. Um, but clothing is one that's like really easy. You spot it immediately. And it's so it ends up sort of like being a bit of a pulse on the, on a society. Like you can look at the clothing of society and glean certain information about its values. But there's a period where women were in corsets and crinolines. And the crinoline was like, it, like at one point it got to be like really, really wide. Like, like I remember it was. Yeah, it was yeah. ridiculous. Like you shouldn't be able to get through doorways unless sideways or something like exactly. that. Exactly. That is, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking of. Um, and what it was is the like women in that time were not viewed as kind of human. They were viewed as these like, like you, you women were paragons. They couldn't be human. So it's like, you physically couldn't get close, like no one could get close enough to flirt with a woman. Like that is this very concrete representation of a super abstract value or belief or way of interacting with a group within that time frame. If we look at it as sort of a language and a representation of, of like who we are and what we believe, then it becomes important. And as a marker of identity, so it's like if I'm if I'm walking around and I'm saying, hey, I'm really into Dungeons and Dragons and I, you know, being a nerd and into Dungeons and Dragons is, yeah, sure, it might be cool in certain settings, but in other settings, it might not at all. And for me to remember that that's who I am and it's not a question of being cool or not, it's just a thing that I really like, it's kind of important to me. Um, so if I'm wearing like a T-shirt that is a, you know, from my favorite D&D show, um, then that's a reminder. This is interesting. And this one seems to be stuff that is from a so a very um, Western perspective or a very privileged and upper class yeah. perspective. So is it that these these attitudes play out in in the upper echelons of society, so to speak, and 
so people sort of lower down in the social strata, uh, economic strata even, they kind of look at these aspirational figures and what they're indicating about morality or religion or any other kind of ideology. And then um, people just do the best they have with what they've got in their closets or, you know, if it's their birthday, they might get something kind of special or whatever that resembles the ideals that the upper crust right. puts out. So in the past, like when we study about the history of fashion, it was very much only about what was happening in, in like the, like you said, the upper echelons. It just like everything about it was incredibly expensive. Um, so you don't, we really don't know all that much about what's happened. Like we, we didn't study about what was happening with the poor folk because their clothing didn't really change much across centuries. Like there was, were like slight adjustments, but not much. Um, and we are kind of in this new place. Um, and this is fully like, fast fashion this is like one of the beautiful things about fast fashion as much as we like hate on it um what fast fashion has done is it's allowed everyone like the poor folk the like you know not so poor folk regardless of like whatever economic strata you're in it's made made clothing avail like a a variety of clothing available to you um, exactly. So it's actually like I remember it, it's been referred to as like the democratization of fashion, because as a person working in retail at like minimum wage, I can still go out and buy clothing that it's not about what's practical. It's about how I want to express myself. And I get to change that every so often because it's accessible. So like I, that's an as much as like yeah there's a lot of issues that have been caused by it but it, at the same time I, I don't think it's I think it's important to not forget that it's given us this as well um yeah and yeah and so when we talk about like expression now that's actually for definitely not everyone there's still unfortunately people who um cannot access that um or that access that like level of change i think there's still creative ways that it can happen uh but it requires getting creative but yeah it, it's it's now something that most of us can play with and we can we can express ourselves with our clothing which may not have been an option we had we may not have had expression to begin with uh in any form in the past and you're right it is eurocentric um unfortunately like even though I studied like design in India and I, yeah, I got to see craft and we went to museums. We didn't really have a history of Indian fashion. You know, the history of fashion was still, we were learning about European fashion and American fashion. I hadn't actually thought about this aspect of fast fashion being good uh, in some ways, the democratization of fashion and allowing more people to express their to even get an idea of their personal style and assert their identities in that way certainly fast fashion has worked in tandem with instagram and social media to help people figure out what they want to 
express themselves as. But also in the sort of wider discussion around fast fashion, the thing that keeps coming up is its environmental impact yeah. or the poor production practices and, and, and labor welfare, that sort of thing. Yeah. So we all know that fast fashion has lots of evils, but you know now we're also, as you've just told us, I'm also realizing there's a lot of good things. So how should we kind of, if we just take it away, if we just say that um, the supply chain is going to be uh, regulated and there's a lot more costs that are going to be passed on to the consumer, clothes are going to essentially become more expensive. Mm-hmm. It could impact so many things. It could it could be, you know, a, a really big impact on accessibility and, and agency for people to not have clothes to express themselves with. So what can we do, like? What's a what's a viable and sustainable future? There, I don't think there's an easy answer to this. I think it does involve a certain amount of changing how we how we consume. If you improve, so yeah, if you start paying people fair wages, so if, say if we're tackling, because typically what ends up happening is uh, companies can't tackle all of this stuff at once because it like if you go from not you know from having like not paying people really well and not having to worry about your environmental impact, you can keep your, your like cost really low and you can transfer that onto customers. And so then customers are getting set for low uh, prices. But if you start improving, you know, even the way your um, manufacturing is done and the way the people in the supply chain are being treated. And so people are getting paid fair wages and stuff that cost goes up real fast. Um, And so to do that and to do, you know, the environmental stuff, which again takes cost up, is a lot to do at once. And customers might just leave simply because like that information is like customers don't know the breakdown of all of these things. And that's in part because the fashion industry has kept stuff so quiet and not just fashion across the board manufacturing we don't know what it takes to manufacture stuff yeah so it's like if the say fast fashion you know tackled fair trade they were like we're going to be fair trade we're going to focus on that costs going to go up that in itself will mean that people are buying less like we're consuming less but the cost goes up but because of the um technological advantages and the fact that like fast fashion does stuff like they make a lot of it. So they have economies of scale. So it's never going to be as much as a small independent brand doing it, you know, doing the exact same thing. And on an environmental thing, like they can develop a closed loop. So closed loop, essentially H&M, they've been saying that they're doing this for a while. Um, The, efficacy of it I think has been you know like they're like we're doing this we're implementing it but then when it actually got looked at it wasn't always as as in like the amount that they were doing it was not that much but you can take your old clothing and it doesn't have to be H&M it can be I think pretty much anything you can take it to H&M stores and they give you a coupon so they'll take your old clothing 
And their whole idea was to um, that they were going to use that as material to make new collections. It is like it was a smaller part of what they were doing. Um, but what was really exciting to me about that was the fact that if a company like H&M that's that size um, asks suppliers to figure out a way to recycle fiber, they have enough clout that they can make that happen. After a certain amount of time, that technology becomes accessible to every producer. So it's the thing of like, they can, there's a different shift that happens. Um, and that's something that H&M already has started putting into place. Again, it's like, how much are they doing? Don't know. But I think from like the perspective of if as, in, as like individual consumers, we want to like make an impact, uh, we can take some of that like power back and be like, okay, I have an, you know, all I can afford is fast fashion. Great. I go buy a piece and maybe it's not the best quality and it like rips after a little while, which is another thing. That's like another way costs come low. They drop quality. Um, Cause it's like not meant to last. You're supposed to go back in in like two weeks and get something else. Uh, but yeah. what you can do, and this is the thing that I've done. Like I've bought, you know, secondhand pieces that were slightly ripped um, and I've mended it. And what ends up happening then is like you create, like you create a bond with it. Like I got a jacket that had like a tear and it was, it was like an old Navy jacket that I bought secondhand. So it wasn't like the best quality and I knew it, but it was like, it was really warm, but it had a rip in it. And I just like, it's not even the best mending job, but I look at it and I'm like, I did that. <laughs> and so yeah. it becomes, it's like, I made it my own. I extended its life. And like, if you're not somebody who mends, who, you know, knows how to mend or has the time, then find somebody who does trade. Uh, but I, I think like coming back to the stuff of like, like the stuff that we don't do anymore that used to be standard of like mending things and changing the way they look like if you know someone who's learning how to sew and you're like hey this thing that I have is too small or too big go ask them and see if they like know how to make it something else for you uh, or turn it into a cushion and you know it's it, it takes a little bit of shifting and I think that way it's like, okay, if I can take my H&M t-shirt that ripped, like it got a hole in it the first time I washed it and I put a patch on it and I can wear it now 10 more times, I've still extended that use. If that's all I can afford, then that's fine. But then the other way to look at it is there's also, um, if you look at it from like cost per wear, so if you're saying all I can afford is $10, my question would be $10 for how many wares? And um, if it's $10 every month or every two months, because it, you know, the piece that you got, it doesn't last past that, then you're actually spending much more than say if you'd bought something for $50 that lasts you a year. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. So now the way I see it, big, the, the, the fashion industrial complex has already gained 
so much momentum that on its own, there's very little that it can do to slow down. Why would any company want to reduce the size of their own market and reduce their potential profit? Nobody, like literally no fashion bosses or no retail or no manufacturers are ever going to say, oh, you know what, for the sake of the environment, we're going to stop. We're just going to like cut down all of our operations by 50%. We're going to slow down the rate at which we make new collections or new clothes. We're going to change the way in which we promote clothes as must-haves for people. Uh, we're just going to like bring about this cultural shift towards uh, lesser consumption, towards reusing and repairing and all. Like they're not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, so. This seems to be a change that needs to come from people, uh, from the consumer and from government policy or something to, to sort of dismantle um, dismantle the fashion industry a little bit. Companies have shifted. They've pivoted uh, towards greener practices, towards more transparency, because they were their clients and their customers demanded it of them. Like if you look at, again, coming back to fashion revolution, that movement that they started, um, it it like got companies like H&M and Zara and like huge powerhouses to commit to transparency. And so if you go on their websites, like if you go on the head office websites of all of those companies, um, they every year release information um, on their on their practices. And that came from like from customers demanding. So there's a lot of like that pivot can happen. So yeah. the more people start like, you know, calling out companies, not necessarily being like straight up, like you're doing horrible things. I'm not going to buy your stuff, but like explaining to them being like, hey, you're doing horrible things. Like fix them because I like you. But if you don't give me a reason to continue like sticking with you, I'm going to go elsewhere. Mm. But also the, the, the biggest way to curb fashion's impact on the environment is to consume less, right? I've, yes. I mean, I'll be, I'll be fully honest. Like I've looked at this in every which way I could. And I've come to the, like for me personally, that is the only way I see it. I see it like as consuming less because, because no matter, like even if everything's like fully organic and incredibly wonderfully made, if every six months we're making, you know, 20, 30 more pieces, and that's like talking a small business, um, then, well, then that's all still new stuff. But yeah, I fully believe that like, yeah. consuming less definitely but this all comes down to what we are what we are told is aspirational so on instagram or you know celebrity culture so celebrities for example wear so many different styles of clothing because obviously they don't buy everything themselves they get given that they have stylists and they can be like for this event i'm going to go all like 20s glam for that event i'm going to be like hip-hop and you know like punk style for this you know so they can just keep switching up 
And so what I guess we need is um, maybe a little, I don't know, like now that we've tasted this incredible, the joy of being able to switch up who we are because clothes are so accessible and it allows us to access a little story about ourselves or, or build a little mood. Going back seems really hard, but it seems to be the only way. I'd actually argue that there's a way to do, there's an in-between ground. Because what okay. I do, and I've like, like I actually went quite a few years without buying new stuff. I don't buy many clothes. Um, like I might buy one thing a year. And it's, you know, like it's not like I get new things like for a while when I was working, it was like, okay, fine. As one of the perks I was getting new stuff. But like, even if you take that away, um, the through the years, like what I've gathered, uh, and I'm in a very privileged position that like my body has not changed much. So I don't have that to factor in. I'm fully aware of that, like that changes things. Um, but I have, a mo- like I have, a, I have more clothes than I know what to do with most times. Um, and so when you're saying like, oh, you know, one day I want to feel like punk and one day I want to, you know, do the academia look and one day I want to do the, uh, sporty look, there's a way to do those with the pieces that you have. Like, obviously not everyone's wardrobe, like, so it depends on the person's wardrobe, but you can curate your wardrobe to be like, Hey, I'm someone who likes to change up my looks so often. Um, so I want to, when I buy new things and I bring new pieces in, I'm going to be thinking about that. So mm-hmm. maybe it's like, okay, getting a t-shirt, like a V-neck t-shirt um, that's like slightly boxy. And then when you want to do sporty, you wear that with the leggings that you have. When, mm-hmm. and you know, your, your sneakers. When you want to do academia, you wear your, uh, you wear like a sweater over a button down collared shirt. Uh, when you want to do, uh, or like under over a turtleneck. Um, and when you want to do punk, you just put dark makeup on and like wear it with black pants or like, you know, yeah. and maybe wear jewelry, like wear accessories that are a little more punkish. So it's, it's, it's like, yes, wearing the same stuff you have over and over, but then kind of being like, like playing dress up with your own wardrobe and being like, okay, well, well, what can I do? And, and kind of, it does require getting into a space of play and very much shutting out the, like, you know, the judgment thing of like, what is, how, how are other people going to react to it? Um, Mm. And once you've done that, enough times that you can walk into your wardrobe and just like throw things together it significantly changes what you can do with your wardrobe um and like I've done that I've actually like gone uh you know I had a friend who was who was struggling with she was kind of like I don't like my clothes anymore I don't know what to do like I don't know what my style is blah blah and I went to her house and I was like okay let's look at this together and it was just as simple as like me not knowing any answers, not being like, Hey, I know this is going to look together and literally just asking her what happens if you do this? 
And then she would do it and she would be like, yes or no. And it's as simple as that. If there's no, like, you're not going to know beforehand. You just kind of have to have curiosity and be like, what happens if? And that what happens if changes stuff. Yeah. So I have the same problem. I don't know what my style is. I just wear clothes based on convenience. But in my closet, I've got a bunch of clothes that I don't wear and I don't really like. And I'm just scared to Murray condo them and give them away, you know, because they're, I paid money for them and they're there. Right. Uh, and then when I think, okay, so I'm going to start exploring my style and I look at different pictures, everything appeals to me. Like I want to be this and this. So I, you know, um, I don't know how to buy, as you said, flexible clothes that okay. I can. It seems like a very big uh, energy investment in trying to figure out, you know, like what, how will this map across my many different moods and then make right. a decision to buy it or not. Yeah, fully. Um, do you have, like, how do you, how do you, how do you, what would you recommend for people who are just like, <laughs> when it comes to thinking about these things? <laughs> well, so the way that I do it is um, I kind of, so when I do try to have to bring something in my wardrobe, I've waited a long time. So, it's me kind of like having a flash of, oh man, I, ugh, I hate all my clothes and just sitting with that feeling for a little while and being like, okay, that's fine. It might be a mood that passes. It might be an actual need that's missing or like an actual piece that's missing. And then I kind of just like go on getting dressed every day and still trying to be like, you know, dress for who I am that day, dress for like uh, the day that's ahead of me and say, you know, I would have had the uh, hate on my clothing stuff and I continue. And then I'm like, I really, you know, what would, what I really want today? I like, I want a, that I don't have. I want a V-neck loose fitting black t-shirt. I keep coming back to that. I'm sorry. That's like my go-to example. It seems. <laughs> but do you actually have one though like you personally I don't I have one that I sleep in <laughs> because it's like not and like yeah maybe that's maybe that's an indicator that that is a thing that I want um <laughs> but there's a particular fit that I have in mind um but yeah that's like boxy v-neck and you know that's like day one and I'm like okay I don't have it today I'm gonna keep that in my head and I'm gonna keep going and then you know Say that was when I was trying to find something to wear with jeans. And then like a week later, maybe I'm like, like I've forgotten about that and I've moved on. And if it comes back when I'm trying to, you know, put another outfit together, then I'm like, okay, there might be something here. And if it comes back again, then I'm like, okay, I should probably start looking for this thing. And then I start doing my research of like, okay, what's a... Like what, do, like for me, I need it to be like, I want it to be like ethical. I want it to last. There's going to be some combination of things. I can't afford all, like, I, you know, I can't afford a $200 t-shirt. Like I'm not that person, but I'm going to find something that fits stuff. I'll start searching. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of let my lack and my desire for thing kind of come back and see, okay, what is it pinpointing? And if it's pinpointing the same thing again and again, 
then I start being like, all right, let me let me go see what's available, because that's a thing that I probably need. So what's what's apparent to me in what you're saying is we need to uh, a little bit avoid the temptation of instant gratification of I need something to wear right now. I hate everything in my wardrobe. I rush out and buy something that you are not convinced but you just buy it. So you have to sit with the discomfort of um, knowing that you're unhappy with your current clothes collection, or mm-hmm. you have to sit with the discomfort of feeling like you've um, your body size has changed and now you need to buy different clothes or whatever. And it, it's a slower decision. So the, 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 the buying cycle is elongated into figuring out finding a good quality item finding it at a price that you can afford at the moment but also doing that calculation of cost per way so basically being more thoughtful and slower in how you buy clothes absolutely but i do think that if your body has changed that's a slightly different situation because then it might be my body has changed and the stuff i have doesn't fit me anymore and so then it's like okay maybe Yes, you do need to get stuff, but I wouldn't say you need to go and replace your entire wardrobe all in the same moment. I would say go out and get a few pieces that you can, that kind of work with each other. Like if you have to, if your body has changed and you need new stuff, go get four or five pieces that work well together and, or like whatever that number is for you that works. Um, And then wait and see because maybe your body has changed and then what you need to like what story you're going to be telling with your clothes is different so i'd say that and and the the like having your pieces having a small number of pieces that work really well together um if you want to look up uh capsule wardrobes there's a lot of people who do capsule wardrobes and talk about like how to create one that's a really good example. Um, and there's so a capsule you know, wardrobe is a wardrobe that's uh, all meant to be like is all aligned and it's general aesthetic, so you can mix and match things quickly. It um, typically a lot of people do aligned and aesthetic. Um, I don't think that's necessary. I think it's just you have a limited number of pieces, uh, you know, and some people go as small as like ten, and some go larger. Uh, But it's just that, you know, your pieces need to, you should be able to wear each of them with each other. Like, obviously not pants and pants, because that, I mean, hey, if you want to do that, go for it. But (laughs) I'd love to see that happen and see how someone creatively does that. But, you know, it's, (laughs) because I'm like, as I was saying that, I was like, yeah, you could technically wear a, you know, a pair of pants as a bandeau top. Yeah, sure. That's a thing. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it, it does like it, they don't all have to be uh, neutral tone, which is a thing that I see a lot happen. Like when people talk about capsule wardrobes, they're like either it's a lot of black. There's a lot of like, you know, neutral tones in there. So they all go well together. I would love to see a capsule wardrobe where it's wild prints like. Absolutely. That to me is lovely because it's, I don't think you need to 
give up on color and print and vibrancy to have a capsule wardrobe. But if, yeah, if, um, and I'm somebody who absolutely could not because I wear yeah. really colorful clothes. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that, yeah, exactly. Everything doesn't have to be neutral, black, yeah. beige, you know, dark colors, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually the benefit of today's fashion landscape is that you can literally wear anything and generally, if you carry it off with confidence or wear makeup, or if you're skinny, it all looks like intentionally, it, no matter how horrendous it is, it all looks like you purposely decided on that look and damn it, you're going to own it. Oh my God. And I think, I don't think it's even size. Like I follow, um, there's someone on Instagram I follow called Tess Holiday, and She's a, you know, she's a plus size. I don't think she's a model. She's a plus size woman. And she is the most fabulous dresser that I have ever seen. Um, And she just owns stuff. She is a model. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know how I like found her. I think it was like somebody shared her thing. She blows me away every day with the, like, just the confidence and the like vulnerability with which she, she dresses. Yeah. Um, I love Tess Holiday. I love, and she has a movement on Instagram called F Your Beauty Standards. Okay. And, I don't uh, know about yeah. that. Yeah. It's a hashtag and it's also an Instagram account called F Your Beauty Standards. She started that uh, to promote body positivity. And, and one of, so just before, like, before I forget, I wanted to say for any, you know, for any of my listeners, uh, I've talked about being a fat person before, being in a, in a bigger body. And and I use the I, I kind of reclaim the term fat for myself. I know it might be triggering for some people, but uh, personally for me, it's like it's just a descriptor of my body and not any um, judgment or any value, moral value about it. But as somebody in a larger body, I I have multiple times been in a in tears, in a feeling of deep shame when I realized that my clothes don't fit me anymore and uh, I've been through like the whole cycle of punishing myself by not going out and buying bigger clothes because then I would be accepting defeat and accepting the fact that I am now bigger than I was like last month or six months ago or whatever and at some point I just got really sick of being physically uncomfortable in ill-fitting clothes and I was like I it was of course it's not easy it's a a whole process you have to deal with a lot of shame and negativity and uh, just you know feeling of and grief around your body changing but like you said if you if your clothes don't fit you anymore it's of paramount importance to be first of all comfortable moving around the world and It doesn't matter if you have to get bigger clothes, but just go and get them because you deserve to be comfortable. Yeah. And And the best part is like now we have a lot of companies that offer plus size clothes. And if like, here's what I'll say, if it comes down to it and you, you have nothing to wear, then by all means, go and buy fast fashion. If H&M or whatever, if Target, if Kmart are the only ones that are doing clothes, good clothes in your size that give you a sense of dignity and a little bit of joy and, you know, make you feel like you've got control 
you know, just do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'd even say it's like, so you kind of talked about moving comfortably in your clothes. Um, yeah. And there is a thing where moving like for women moving around in the world and like actually not just women women marginalized people queer people just so many so many people um trans people being allowed to move comfortably in the world in clothing that is affirming to you um has been something that's just like it's been denied to so many people that if you can do that like it 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 almost is you're taking back power just by doing that just by like putting on clothing that makes you feel good um and then if you feel good in it like if you're concerned about the environmental impact and you know wanting to switch styles all the time create a relationship with your clothing if you feel good in something and you repeatedly feel good in it and as you go out into the world it reinforces because you have good experiences because you're feeling good in it you're gonna want to keep that around yes exactly so it's like we can talk about like the big industrial shifts that need to happen and we can talk about the big politics but sometimes it's as simple as like go find the thing that makes you feel good, put it on, treasure it. Yes, absolutely. You know, you were saying before that the luxury of being comfortable in the clothes we are in is denied, um, you know, such a big chunk of the human population. Essentially, it is um, queer people, trans people, cis women, disabled people, fat people, like, you know. Yeah. And, and honestly, even cis men. I think cis men have it pretty easy. Like, like okay, simple Depends. thing. This is anecdotal completely. But if you go to any store, you have racks upon racks of so many inclusive sizes in clothing for cis men or, 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 or just men in general, not cis men, sorry, men. Right. So the men's section of clothing is very varied in size is pretty uniform in appearance so instantly people are being told that they're not expected to make very tough choices about their clothing and they will be accepted regardless of you know how interesting or fancy their clothing is they get to wear loose loser fitting pants and jeans if they want they can also wear skinny jeans or whatever um, and in general, like they could just wear sneakers everywhere, whereas well, women have so many other things that are coded, like things like wearing comfortable fat shoes and without having to apologize or feel like frumpy. Yes, and I'm not saying that cis men don't have it uh, easier, but I think you know the system that we're in doesn't allow them uh, a lot of expression. So you typically don't see that, like now you're seeing like some men wear brighter colors, like that's slowly being allowed. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, 
wearing colors like pink and purple. But men who, cis men, cis straight men who want to wear dresses and skirts still can't. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. So yes, while uh, while it seems easy, I guess it's deceptively easy because yeah. they're just allowed to allowed in, in, in inverted commas to wear a limited style of clothing, whereas yeah. um, personal expression, uh, the, you know, like feeling pretty or feeling beautiful or feeling lovely, these words or these emotions are not something that culturally they're allowed to access or express. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you on that. I would love for there to be more varied, um, androgynous uh, clothing in different shapes. So, okay, so yes, we didn't get around to talking about how to find your own style. So how does one find their own style? So I'd say it's like, you know, clothing as a medium, as a storytelling medium, Um and one of the, one of the, I think the like way most people are are familiar with that's going to be easy to understand is when you watch a movie and you're introduced to characters. Like if you think back to a character in a movie that you love, there's a good chance that you know, like you can see what they were wearing in that moment or in that scene. But you can also probably find other things that they would wear like in your head, right. you know, and that's, that is it. And it's, it's because that character has a personality and what you're doing is you're taking like the clothing becomes an extension of that or a reflection of that personality. Right. And so that's a little bit of what you, one, one way to kind of do that whole personal style thing is like, who am I? What's my personality? And how do I, how does that, you know, transfer into clothing, Um, which can be like a really hard thing to think about. So an easier way to do that could be like to kind of play and be like, okay, do I want to try on the artist look today? Am I going to be like the, you know, serious artist aesthetic today? And you try that on. And uh, you kind of like take a minute, like pay attention to what it feels when you put that piece on your body. Um, And again, like if someone is not comfortable, like, you know, spending time in their body, like bring their attention to that body, then don't focus on that. Like, like if, if you're like, you know, you put something on and you try to pay attention to what's happening in your body and you feel like there's a disconnect, then know that there's a disconnect and that's enough. You don't have to like push past that. Um, And yeah. And then it's like, but pay attention to like how you feel in it when you put it on, pay attention to what, how you feel in it as you move through your day with it. Um, Mm. And like, you don't have to like always like just take moments to be like, okay, what's happening. How does this feel? And at the end of the day, you're like, okay, cool. You don't have to make a decision on whether you like it or not, but typically you'll have like some sort of association. You can let that stuff percolate. And the next day you can decide whether you want to try that same style again, or if you want to go try another style. And once you've tried out a bunch of different stuff, and I don't mean like go buy things, like start with your closet 
And then what you can do, though, if you want to try on stuff that you don't have in your closet, go to stores where. And I would say go to stores where like. Things are made well and the sales staff are really friendly because having worked retail, the number of times I'm just delighted when someone wants to come in, try things on and have a, you know, fun play session with me. If it's quiet, I'm so down as the person who's worked in that store and seen the clothing on multiple different bodies, the sales staff has insight that you might not have so they might pull something out that you wouldn't even think of and all you have to do all I would suggest is to just try it on even if you're like absolutely not because trying it on gives you information even if it's like I absolutely hate this then you know definitively that you absolutely hate that yeah that's that's critical because sometimes it happens that you see a look that you want uh, and you just can't get it out of your head. You tried it. It didn't work on your body, but you're still very attracted to that style or that look and you really, really want it. And, you know, your attempts have failed. So making a note of what you hate about each of those attempts gets you a little closer to finding a way in which that look can work for you. Like, or even just boiling it down to what do I really like about this look? Is it that it's all, you know, a particular color or a family of colors? Or is it that it's kind of androgynous? Or is it that it's very overtly feminine? Or, you know, like, this has happened to me so many times that I've seen something, I've experimented and felt like a complete idiot. But every time I see those kinds of clothes, I still want to wear them. Yeah. And it might even be like, it's not about the clothes, but it's about what the clothes evoke in you. If it's reminding you of like, something that you like um then of course it's going to keep calling out to you again because but it's not the clothing itself it might be what the clothing reminds you of yeah if that i don't know if that makes sense yeah no absolutely absolutely um clothing reminds us of so many things it reminds us of childhood or um, Mm -hmm. you know other people that we like or attitudes or you know so many things just like smells yeah, exactly yeah um so so price wise okay so how so how is clothing priced and if we wanted to say you know buy something that was made well is price necessarily an indicator that it's made well uh oh, that's a hard one yes and no um so price is not like you can't just look at something and be like it's expensive so it is good, like it's good quality. Um, I wish it was, but there's a lot of places um, where the quality is not great, even though it's expensive. Um, so then you you might be paying for like the brand name, or you might be paying for something else. That um, oh, I hate it when I that know. happens. It's like bloody Stella McCartney white T-shirt for one hundred and ninety nine dollars, or, or Valentino white T-shirt. What is wrong with these people? Like, don't they have, don't they have a sense of decency? That why would Valentino sell a white oversized T-shirt for? Let Let me look this up. Actually, I'm gonna Google this right now. And, okay. You know, this is six hundred and forty dollars, Australian yeah. dollars 
for a white Valentino t-shirt that says VLTN. Yeah. And it might be good quality, but it's not the $600. You're not paying only for quality. Yeah. Like that's yeah. That's $600. You're mostly paying for the name. Right. Um, it's yeah. But that being said, things that are made with high, like high quality fabrics are expensive. High quality construction does add another certain amount of like price on it. Then when there's quality control, that's like a person looking at each piece individually to make sure it's up to a standard. Like they have standards that say like anything, like if this set of, there's actually like specific um, lists of things that will not be allowed because they want to keep, they want to make sure that customers get a really good quality. So that is a person looking at it and that adds a certain amount of, you know, a certain cost to it as well. So it's tricky. Um, I think this is where like having reviews is really, really wonderful. Um, and yeah, that's that's like the reviews from people who have used it come in really, really handy then. Absolutely. They say things like I'm a size X, I bought this, X as in not not large but just say whatever blah 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 right. and i bought this garment and it was tight for me here or or they post a picture of themselves on the site and you can see how the clothes fit in in their body or they you know say that it was darker than i expected it to be and if a whole bunch of people say that you know yeah so so what makes ethical fashion it's uh people that are transparent about their supply chain they use uh materials that are not harmful or material processes that are not harmful to the environment what else makes ethical fashion um so there's a couple of different things so there's actually a couple of uh there's two terms that you'll see a lot one is ethical fashion one is sustainable fashion um and it can get a little bit confusing typically ethical fashion um it the way i kind of break it down is Ethical fashion is like people centric. So you've got like fair wages, good working conditions. It puts like the 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 people working in the entire supply chain um, mixture that they're taken well care of uh, or take or like treated the way that they should be treated, you know, Um, Mm. and transparency comes into play there as well. There's also and I don't see this as much now, but there's also like when companies and brands start talking, um, kind of make pledges um, to change the messages that they're putting out in media. So that is also can be referred to as ethical fashion, but it depends. It has it like, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they've got good working conditions and fair wages. Like, uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, sometimes they're separate even though the like term might be kind of the terminology being used might be similar. Um, And sustainable fashion is where you really talk about like the environmental impact, waste generated impact of fabric, impact of fiber production, all of that. And like uh, aftercare as well. Um, So it's, there's different points in the life cycle of the product uh, that you can be like, you can like have, the sustainable you can have you can make changes essentially so that it's more sustainable mm. um there's a lot 
<laughs> but the That's terms can be used. Yeah. Yeah, the terms sometimes are like confused. So it's really important to kind of, when somebody says sustainable fashion or ethical fashion, to go, okay, well, what do you mean? Um, and then there's the term vegan fashion, which is, I've heard people come up to me and be like, yeah, I'm, you know, trying to move my, I'm trying to like make my fashion uh, more in line with my aesthetic, with my, uh, sorry, my values. And, and I'm going to only buy vegan fashion without fully, without completely understanding what that means. Like now there's a lot more. So people will be like, I'm not going to buy leather. I'm going to buy vegan leather. And now as of like maybe two or three years ago, there's alternatives like pineapple leather. And I think there's like a mushroom. mushroom. Right. So there's all of that. But before that, Vegan leather was pleather, which is a petroleum-based product. Yeah, and even yeah, now, it's, exactly. And even now, it's really important to like, like I'll see the term vegan leather used and I'm like, okay, well, what does that actually mean? So I'm then going to go into the, what it's made of and look there. And if it's, I've seen brands where they don't specify. Um, yeah. And that's to me like, that's where I'm start, starting to be like, well, okay, something's off here. Because if if it is pineapple leather, you, like, put it on there. Even if it's not, put it on there. Because I want clarity. Like, you can't say vegan leather and not specify what it is. Because then it seems like you're kind of, like, greenwashing a little bit. Or value washing yeah, in this sense. Yeah, value washing. Um, yeah. Things like that. Or... Um, you know, for example, um, H&M might have like an H&M conscious collection or it might be you want a sweater, for example. And, and this is the number of times that I've been absolutely dismayed to, for example, I want something really warm. I go into the store and it's acrylic. So ostensibly vegan, but also the acrylic isn't very high quality. It's going to start pilling. In, in a very short time, if I just sit around in chairs on, on it, uh, it's made in Bangladesh and factories where workers are not paid a good wage or the factories are not paid. For example, like a lot of brands have come under fire for in the COVID-19 crisis, actually not paying their dues to manufacturers in places like Bangladesh. Yeah. So that to me is not in alignment with my vegan values. Um, right. And this is so evident also in makeup. Um, and, and beauty. So half of these um, erstwhile, I'm going to call them erstwhile because even though they're on paper vegan, they've sold out to big companies like L'Oreal or mm-hmm. Estee Lauder that test on animals. So Kat Von D, yeah. Urban Decay, um, Tarte, Too Faced. Oh, Too Faced was such a disappointment. They lived up to their name, literally. <laughs> Too Faced <laughs> sold their company to Estee Lauder and they're like, no, we're still vegan and we're not going to be selling in China and we'll never test on animals or have animal products. But our profits go to Estee Lauder, who tests mm. freely on animals and says that, oh, we don't test on animals except where it's required in China. So do you right. know what I mean? Like this, what you say by, by vegan or ethical, uh, I completely am on board with you. You have to sort of investigate a lot more 
into yeah. what they actually mean when they make these claims and yeah. how that with your personal priorities if we fashion like it's so complex and uh, the only way forward is to take slow and 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 sort of mindful steps nothing can be rushed um so i guess everyone just has to within their means within what's accessible within what's affordable uh and and within what their priority is try and make many changes to their attitudes towards clothing to towards uh their you know uh, shopping practices as well so i i look at clothing um and what you put on your body as an extension of who you are like not directly but it's you know it, it doesn't have to be like oh i wear x so i am y but there is a much there's there's a stronger connection there than just like this surface level like oh no i felt i'm like these are the trends that i follow i want to look good and that's what clothing is about it's about looking good it's about being on trend it's about blah. and i i find that not useful enough that that that's there's too much of a disconnect there for me um i'm like what's the point of that you know um yeah. looking good is wonderful but you know if you feel great then like you look great most times yeah, yeah um so it to me it's it's like if someone you know if, regardless of what the trend is if someone's like hey i want to wear you know sweatpants and a sweatshirt and that's what i want to wear then like and that's what i feel good in that's what's speaking to me in this moment then i'm like absolutely do that like meet your needs and do that um yeah, and it's going to be a lot more valuable for them to to like give expression to that need in that manner yeah and and that's that's really uh that's really good that you say that because say somebody that's listening to this show thinks well i don't really care about having a personal style or exploring my own personal style or whatever bothering with what i really wear does that mean that there's some kind of judgment on me as somebody who's sloppy or somebody who's not you know like somebody just doesn't care enough well no that just means that there are other things that are important to them yeah. and that's perfectly fine so absolutely at the end of it all fashion or not fashion it all comes down to clothing that meets your values right yeah just make it work for you like if yeah. i like i'm super down for telling people like if certain people are like hey i'm overwhelmed all the time all the time and i can't do you know adding clothing to another like what to wear is another thing i have to decide i'm all for being like hey you need a break from that get literally like the same outfit or like reduce your wardrobe to like the five things that you're going to wear right now like limit your your choices so that for this moment you don't have to make big choices you can go focus on the rest of your life go focus on the rest of your life and have the clothing be like do the steve jobs thing of the exact same thing every single day screw everyone like doesn't matter what anybody else thinks 
do that because that's what you need to do. And so you can go live your life. Like clothing should not be this thing that gets in the way of living life. Like uh, it really should not. It's like it should help you live your life better or it should be neutral. And if it I actually like it should help you live your life better is yeah. kind of the best thing. Uh, if it's getting yeah. in the way, that's not great. Yeah. yeah. And again, like we come back to this at the end of the day, if your health, if your basic dignity is at stake, then just buy the damn thing that's available. Yes. It's more, it's more important for you to be a functional person who has, who looks who, and feels good and, yeah. and then can work on those other things when you have, the spoons or when you have the means or when you have the time or access absolutely yeah this has been a most wonderful and you know just a positive experience for me because you have answered all of my burning questions about (laughs) fashion and clothing and you've just infused the whole topic with so much warmth and kindness for me oh my god thank you this has been so much fun um yeah it's been awesome uh i look forward to having you back on the show in the future to discuss new things about fashion because i think that clothing and appearance continues to be a very important thing for millennials and Mm -hmm. as and when technology and the situation changes i would love to have you back on to share your thoughts about new things i would love that 